right, we got the Zoom room set up. Looks like Danny's coming in. And what's that? We got a fourth person, a new face popping in. We got hey. Danny on the line. And who's this uh, Who's this new face coming on? Beer time with books. My name is Corey. I'm your brother-in-law. <laughs> Corey, a guest. welcome to the pod. This is uh, our third guest. We're excited to have you. This has been a long time coming. We've talked about having you on for a decent amount of time, but uh, we're, we're finally here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Not exactly how we imagined it. Probably. Yeah, we thought we'd have you around the table with a classic setup, but now we're just uh, in a Zoom room, a bunch of different squares <laughs> on a screen. Yeah, sign of the times. Absolutely. That, uh, but that new normal. <laughs> for for today's episode, uh, we have talked about this in the first season, how we went about choosing the book. For each of the seasons, we do a seven-book set up and for the first three it's a choice from me then from jamie and then from danny and then for the middle book we have uh, had guests in the past and then we kind of do a committee choice and Corey, you had submitted a list of books to us and this was actually a true community effort here to choose what we're reading today uh, we are reading steppenwolf by herman hess is how I looked up that that's pronounced. Uh, what made you put this one on the list that, out of curiosity? What what brought this book to your attention? I I honestly don't remember. I have basically my to read list is just like a vacuum of things that I've acquired. Like maybe I'll read like, oh, this was a great book over here or someone suggested it over here. And it was just there. It met your parameters. <laughs> I yeah, submit. We, we I do submitted keep them it semi the short. It's it's a pretty good size. It's it's a solid, uh, thin ish book. So yeah, it's been interesting. We're uh, excited to get into it a little bit later. But before we get into all of that, we have our classic corners to hit real quick. Starting with number one, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, so who wants to start with our illustrious? What are you drinking? I can start. start. Oh, Jamie, start. Okay. Uh, This is Jamie. Hi. I'm drinking a ginger lemon Radler from Boulevard, which I'm sure I have had on the pod before. It's a summer classic. It really is. It's a summer (laughs) classic. All right, Danny, what are you drinking tonight? I... Uh, first of all, bought my first ever six pack of IPAs, which I never buy for my own self. Danny, so the, can... the transformation on this podcast yeah, truly, has been incredible. My my beer journey has been uh, has been great on this podcast. Um, I bought um, Twisted Logic IPAs from uh, Hayes, Kansas, Defiance Brewery. Hmm. Um, yeah, hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna crack it open. <laughs> As is tradition on these quarantine episodes. And it's great. I like it. Solid. All right, Corey, for your first what are you drinking section, what do you got right, for listen, us tonight? Listen, I have not been to a liquor store throughout this entire like stay at home. So it's just a, a Boulevard Wheat, the, the most common classic. beer that you have on this podcast. Again, okay. <laughs> it, is, it is a classic. <laughs> only rivaled by the Tank 7, I'd say. 
so that's nice. We got uh, Wheat representing coming in strong. And uh, for mine, I have a New Belgium. I think I had one of their other IPAs last episode, but this is Liquid Paradise IPA. Um, and it's uh, IPA representing now. We're getting more and more IPAs every time. And so if... Uh, yeah. Who would have guessed? Jamie's drinking a Rattler, and I'm drinking an IPA, and I don't know who we are anymore. <laughs> I Yeah, we've just melded into one person. Wild time. So if you uh, do want to check out all of those cans, that's going up on our Instagram a little bit after this episode goes up, and that's beer time with books, all one word. And with that, we'll be moving into our next section. This is the recent media where we highlight one or two of the things that have gone uh, above the rest of all of the various media you may have been consuming in quarantine. Just uh, one or two highlights from uh, for us since the last episode, and Corey, just for you in general, if there's uh, one or two highlights from this quarantine. But we'll go back around, same order that we did for What Are You Drinking? So, Jamie, recent media? All right. Um, I have been listening to a new audiobook um, that everybody and their mom has already read, including Brian and his mother. Um, but it's... <laughs> Truly, the mothers are, are in on this. Uh, Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. I am a little over halfway done with it, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've honestly um, put off reading it. I normally don't read the books that are wildly popular uh but it's pretty good it's it's keeping my interest while i redecorate our laundry room um, it has a good pace it definitely yeah. carries the story well yeah i understand why it's popular um and then also i've been consuming a lot of uh yoga with adrian and blogilates on youtube because i told myself that it's summer and i have to work out even though i'm not seeing anyone and it's also being done <laughs> just as this podcast is virtually. So. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. Danny, a couple highlights uh, from your recent weeks. Um, yeah. Since last podcast, Will and I watched... Will's my boyfriend. I've mentioned him before. Um, Will and I watched um, Pulp Fiction, a classic I had not seen. Uh, <laughs> Corey's giving a thumbs thing. up. So many, so many gifts and memes from that movie, uh, and um, yeah, but I enjoyed it. Um, I feel like sometimes things are really overdue for me. I have not seen the things, and so I feel like things don't always live up to the hype. But I understand why it was hyped. I really, it really like held my interest the whole time. That one does have a lot of modern gifts that are yeah, used frequently. The John Travolta. Like the yeah. pretty the John Travolta one is, is the, so the, good. the Travolta shrug. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, and then I also um I caved and started watching Little Fires Everywhere. Um I have read the book. Um and I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. Um I wasn't sure if I was gonna watch the series on Hulu, but I love Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon. So um I uh I'm almost I'm over halfway through, and I really like it. It's uh, I definitely recommend it. I um, didn't didn't know if I was going to like it or not, but um, I've been pleasantly surprised. So, um, yeah, that's a recent recent show. Nice, solid. Corey, how about you? How about uh, any other recent media? Again, since you haven't been on a previous episode, just highlights of the quarantine in general. Just a couple things. 
Yeah, I found this podcast, a little podcast called Song Exploder. Oh, which I so feel good. You've heard it? Yes, it's so good. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of a misnomer because uh, like it's it's actually very subtle and very intricate with uh, basically for the people who don't know, it's the host talks to artists and they do a deep dive on one of their songs, which I mean, I love that stuff from like the writing to the composition. And so it's it really deep, makes you deep like every single track gets soloed out and you hear every little bit. It's it's so good. Yeah, it's it's like podcasting at its finest. And then the um another thing and I'm only bringing this one up because it applies to this book that we're about to talk about, which I'm reading a book called Horizon by Barry Lopez. It's kind of a um it's a memoir so to speak, but it's like also about like his travels throughout his life. So, um, I mean, that's kind of a precursor of what I'll compare this book to. <laughs> <laughs> the foreshadowing, Corey, very strong. <laughs> that's podcasting at its finest right there. <laughs> cool. And uh, for me, I've talked to everybody about this first one, but I started the Ken Burns country music documentary. I'm now halfway through. So that's four episodes each at two hours. Uh, it was super enjoyable. I wouldn't even call myself that much of a country music fan necessarily. I don't hate it or anything, but getting into the very early stuff where it was this great melting pot of the beginnings of blues and and country and jazz and rock and roll and just kind of like where they were all occupying a lot of the same space at the beginning. It was cool to see how they all started to split out as time went on in the 20th century. Uh, so that's been great, and I can't wait to get deeper into that. Uh, I think it goes all the way to the 90s, so it's quite quite the span of time. Uh, and then also I've been reading uh, the autobiography of Jeff Tweedy, the lead singer of Wilco, because I had just seen a documentary uh, of them making Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, so I was curious about it. It's called Let's Go in parentheses so we can get back again but i just like to call it let's go <laughs> uh, but it's also very solid i'm always a big fan of any books about musicians and how they came to uh where they're at today kind of their whole journey on what got them into their various styles and he's a very knowledgeable music fan which is fun to hear him talking about the obscure records that really brought him into uh, what Wilco is today. So that should be good. That's the recent media. Good picks, everybody. That's I think that's a solid, well-rounded list for people to check out <laughs> if they're looking for some new stuff. And with that, we will be moving into the subject of today's episode. We're going to be doing uh, the first half of this today. Uh, thanks to Corey. This is going to be Herman Hesse's Steppenwolf. And I'll pass it over to Corey to get into a summary. Yeah, I, you know, this might be a short summary because there's not a lot of verbs that actually happen in the book. It's very <laughs> internal. This is like this is like a book, you know, if if like I would write this book if I'm I've lost everything and the only thing I had left was waiting to die, pretty much. It's like it's kind of deep in that. So it's about this man named Harry who leaves behind a manuscript and it's basically just what what kind of 
like how he sees his life and where he belongs in it. And there's all these themes of like religion and suicide and the the bourgeoisie and and you know Lots all of the things that bourgeoisie <laughs> a lot a lot of yeah. the bourgeois. And so yeah, it's just it's just a man who's lived a long life and he's soured and now he's really just trying to get a grip on what's next. Is that is that pretty is that where everyone what everyone else got? Yeah, I, I just wanna add in for the summary that was kind of an interesting discussion that we had kind of had outside of the context of the podcast kind of last episode. Uh I think I, I, maybe this book is the one that spurred it on because Corey, just for backup, we normally introduce or a backstory that we normally introduce the next book at the end of the previous book. And we had talked about prefaces specifically and how <laughs> a lot of times we think that prefaces should be, or at least, I don't know, Danny, you weren't as much into this because you read I them anyway. I specifically said that I always read the preface and you guys were like, no, I save it to the end. It has spoilers, so, but it depends on the kind of preface. Exactly. So that was the thing with this book is that normally prefaces are like some outside figure that kind of talks about, you know, what the author was going through and explaining the book but this one was very ingrained into this story i think part of our part of maybe our argument because brian and i both were like no you don't read the preface but also i think what you just described is a forward and oh okay that's fair (laughs) yeah but also i mean but also like there have been a hand like i don't know i feel like i've read books with like handful of prefaces um that are like it sometimes I don't know sometimes I feel like the two definitions get a little bit mixed so I really did I legitimately skipped it because I I didn't even look at it and I was just like oh this is a thing that we're not gonna need and then I was like I feel it's 25 pages long so I feel like I should probably read it um and the preface essentially is uh the narrator finding Harry's manuscript right and like and like introducing the the setting essentially uh and like talking about how he came to find the manuscript yeah, it kind of introduces a third-party look at the character that we're about to deep dive in. So I think it, it's, in a way, it gives us a more well-rounded view Which, before just being sucked in. Yeah, and to me, that was a little uh, bit of a dramatic shift because I felt like once we got into Harry's thoughts after the preface, I don't think we were fully fully prepped by what had happened in the preface because it seemed to be a pretty mild account of (laughs) Harry's character up until the point where he had kind of said some things that maybe he felt were off a little bit about Harry but then we get in and then as you had mentioned Corey with a lot of what had happened at the beginning was that Harry starts getting into these thoughts of suicide and a lot of these uh thoughts of you know what he's been through in his life and religious um overtones to a lot of what he is pondering on i feel like that really wasn't touched on in the preface and that i thought it was kind of an interesting way to start the story for something that just really hit so hard once we got in it felt like it was very quick that we got into harry uh getting into these very deep thoughts there wasn't like uh dip your toes in the pool it's kind of like here's my musings on 
my philosophy and my religion and stuff like that, at least personally, is how I felt on, on that introduction. Yeah, and I don't know if you if the version you guys read had it, but there was a note from the author at the beginning of my copy that I read, and oh. it basically said that um, it, this was his most misunderstood book, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people didn't like it. And he, and he mentioned the age difference. So, like, you know, we are three... 20 or 30 somethings so we are not going to see this book in the same way as the author obviously i mean that that was going to be true no matter what but i think the age gap and what how we're about to analyze this is also something to take into account here yeah and i also think when i was reading through it this was published in the 1920s and that's another large factor where I think, Jamie, you and I had talked about it briefly, just this concept that a lot of um, media gets talked about um, with this dividing line of, like, post-war, referring to post-World War Two, And this is obviously pre-war being from the 1920s, post-World War I, uh, but pre-World War Two, And I think that a lot of the sensibilities in this book it it reminded me of a lot from that era and it also makes it even feel more removed from what we may be more used to in reading more modern literature and stuff that was influenced by this post-war canon that you know it felt very different I feel like it may be this case where you know certain pieces of literature have floated to the top but a lot of the pre-war literature tends to get into these like broader worldly themes and it had reminded me a lot of like he had talked about Dostoevsky it reminded me of like Notes from Underground reminded me a little bit because of like the wolf uh, factor in here of like uh, the Metamorphosis by Kafka and different things like that but it was written in such a way that like these broad themes weren't these side thoughts. It like informs the entire narrative when he's actually talking, which I think was kind of interesting reading something like that and hearing the misunderstood part. It does make me nervous to talk about it because I heard that quote too, that again, it does feel removed because of its inherent pre-war setting to some degree. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, I just thought he thought too much. You know, this was a very internal book that I can see its polarizing tendencies just because it's 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 so dense, which like there not a lot happened in in the book, but a lot was said. And you know, to some of us like um you know, when we're alone like you really go deep. You really take a deep dive into your own psyche and it's like why am I here? You, you go through all these things and then others are just, you know, we just, you just do the next thing. You don't, you don't really take a deep dive into existence or like, what do you believe? What's your purpose and all this stuff. Um, you know, you could take the title, for example, Steppenwolf, how he saw himself as this lone wolf character, um, who sat on the steps, but, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I just, I, I can see the polarizing tendencies, but, you know, this is something that people go through. Yeah, I'd say definitely, oh, Danny, it looks like you had something to say. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, like, going back to, uh, like, Brian, what you were saying about the preface versus actually, like, diving into Harry's, like, thoughts. There, There's, like, a definite contrast. There's a definite, like, change in voice from, like, the preface. The, the, the narrator is, uh, it's just, it's just lighter. It's not so dense. It's not so heavy feeling. Um, and, and you're right. Like, when he presents it, he go he, like, you know... <clears throat> just talks about his qualities. He talks about what ha- what happens. Like the twenty five pages for me went kind of quickly, um, and then you just get into Harry, and he's just like, he's so brooding and so angsty, and then he's just like, also I've decided I'm gonna kill myself, and it's so, it's like four pages in or something, and it's like so immediate, and I just I don't know. I really really liked the. I thought it was a creative way of like setting up the story, um, as opposed to just like you said like him just starting the starting the book with like the main character's thoughts it was set up in a really interesting way and there's a very obvious like contrast in voice and then you know we just harry just gets into it he's just like i am a thinker and i'm just that's i'm gonna think real hard for the whole book and that's his whole like manuscript i i feel like if i um didn't have to read this for our podcast (laughs) Um, and also, if the preface weren't there, I probably, if it had just started with Harry's thoughts, I probably would have given up in, like, 20 pages. I would have been like, there's a lot happening right now, and I, you've said that you're a man and a wolf 87 times, and I don't really know what's going on. Because the plot, like, for Harry, the actual things, action verbs that are happening, doesn't start into, like, page 75, like it's suddenly we're like oh, okay we're at a bar now I understand yeah there are like four things that happen in the first half and maybe three and like they don't really start until like just to give everyone an idea of like like where the action actually starts it's just there aren't that many actions like we've said like it's just very yeah and I, I don't dislike the first part looking back at it now like with everything else in mind it just I think that as a reader, if I hadn't had that preface that told me that there is, like, some kind of purpose here and some kind of story moving forward, like, we know he leaves the flat, um, I might have given up on it. Yeah, I will say, like, again, with the preface, it did add, like, another layer to it in showing, like, outside of Harry versus inside. Again, that dichotomy was a, a big driving factor but I was semi-concerned that that's all we were going to get for a while when it was getting into specifically when he's talking about this half-wolf, half-man idea where that gets brought up many times. Admittedly, for me, that was pretty dense and a little slow. But again, Corey, as you had mentioned, like a lot of it is uh, like there's a lot of thought here and a lot of it is pretty dense where it's getting into a lot of these big ideas that it is almost uh jamie's got some wolf socks on uh (laughs) very very fitting um but uh just showing the whole the whole crew on video i wore them on purpose um it, it definitely was something that i i was a little concerned that that's all that we were getting to but i did like that it come back or came back around uh later on to again get an outside perspective of harry through 
and correct me if this is the wrong pronunciation. <laughs> I only do this from association, but Hermione? <laughs> we have Harry and Hermione, so essentially this is the uh, prequel to Harry Potter. <laughs> Uh, I was pronouncing it. I was pronouncing it Hermine. Yeah, I'm sure it's. I, I'm half joking on that, but regardless, the fact that she comes in and she gives another outside perspective of like, I'm looking at what you are looking like as a person from the outside, and like being able to pick up on like his, broadly his brooding, and give it an analyzation from the outside. I think, again, added another layer to the book that uh, I was glad that it was included there because I did think that this was just kind of going to be an allegorical philosoph- or philosophical story where it was just like once it gets to Harry, he just kind of goes off and like has all of these broad like societal um, views. And then just kills himself. And then, yeah, then kills himself. <laughs> But I just I wouldn't be surprised, which which it would be fine. But I'm glad that it like is getting into more of like Harry as a person interacting with his surroundings where, you know, it's not as much him talking about the professor when he gets to that. You know, we we don't get as much of a descriptive analysis of the professor outside of him finding issues with him, but with Hermione or however we're going to say it. I don't know if we have a, <laughs> a set pronunciation. I doubt it's Hermione. But regardless, before, <laughs> before getting into that, just the fact that she does have like more of a personality, more of an analysis into Harry rather than Harry's analysis of her, I think is going to be very exciting to see how that relationship develops. I also, I don't know um, if we want to get into this right now or not, but I want to talk about (laughs) Hermione uh, (laughs) as a character because before I started reading this book, on the back of the copy that we have, it calls this um, Hesse's Hesse's most um, autobiographical work. Which I thought was interesting because I really um, was like, man, Harry is, whew, there's a lot going on here. He's on one. But then when it gets to, we meet Hermione, (laughs) and he guesses her name by saying, if you were a boy, I think your name would be Herman. And Hesse's first name is Herman, so I'm kind of wondering if she represents his attitude, actually. If, like, she's saying, like... Uh, Harry, you're a little boy and you're just whining because that's what she does, like their whole conversation. Um, so I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that or her character. Corey, I saw your head moving th- a little bit during that. <laughs> I thought I thought the same thing, but that those two characters, because of their names were both like H's, so like maybe I just made the connection. But I thought they were like two halves of the same coin. Especially considering that broad theme throughout the previous parts of the book of talking about these dichotomies so heavily. Yeah, I also read, like, directly, and I I don't know if it was in a summary or something, that, like, um, he he, he made uh, Harry, Harry's name is Harry Holler, Mm -hmm. 
And, like, he did that on purpose. Like, it, I mean, he wasn't, this isn't subtle. <laughs> like, he's, he's making, like, uh, his main character have the same, uh, the same, out of all of the initials they could have, it has his initials. And then, and then the, the female version of his name is the other main character. <laughs> like, I, th- I don't know, it was, like, I, once I, once I read that, I was like, oh, this is, and then it was, like, icing on the cake when he guessed Hermine's name. Brian was, <laughs> Brian was like, I don't know how we want to pronounce it. Don't say anything yet. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I was pronouncing it Hermine only because Hermione has an O in it, and this one doesn't. So that's the reason. Hermione. I <laughs> I, well, I, listen, I don't know. No one knows. It's up in the air. <laughs> I'm done for Correct her. I'm done comments. for her. Mean, eh, mean. You have to say it with like a heavy. You accent. have to be French. It needs to be eh, mean. Eh, eh, mean. But he was German. <laughs> he was. But... He was German Swiss. Apparently, I had found out he had Swiss uh, citizenship. <laughs> Wait, Harry or Herman? Uh, Herman Hess had okay, okay. Swiss. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know if you were talking about Harry. I was like, did I miss the part where he said he had Swiss citizenship? <laughs> I mean... It's another dichotomy here. He's talking about he's half man, half wolf, half German, pretty, half Swiss. That sounds, that sounds pretty bougie to me there, Harry. <laughs> but I, I do like thinking about that uh, specifically of like... Just kind of dividing... Um, this analyzation of Harry even deeper because I think that this is something that happens quite a bit from the beginning because this was like a concept that you know Jamie and I had kind of talked about because of how long it had lasted but at the beginning we get the preface which is then introducing the manuscript and within the manuscript we are getting this pamphlet that like goes deeper <laughs> on like this concept of like the Steppenwolf and so it's like dividing Harry deeper into that. And then even outside of Harry, it's like dividing with him and Hermine that like it's just I don't know if that means it's going to go deeper than that. But like that does seem to be a theme that's playing out pretty significantly of like these dividing lines of two definitive you know, people or things or times or places. Because it even talks about earlier on when. I think it's in the preface, but, like, even for this period of time, and I don't know if this is what he's trying to get into with his overall commentary on the bourgeoisie, but just talking about, like, how people get affected by being between two distinct eras, even, he's talking about, that, like, you know, some of the stuff that he's talking about, again, this is post-World War One, so that's uh, before we're even anybody at this time knowing as a society the the global change that's going to happen within the next decade or, or a little over a decade that world war one was already a huge defining moment and like especially as a german citizen he even talks about somewhat with the professor uh, and alludes to his political leanings and his dislike of the jewish people um, that maybe this was another part of what this book is getting into is like this time period of like the German mentality uh, from before and where it's moving into now. Like, I think that that's just another interesting part that again plays into this dichotomy 
Um, but it does make me nervous to get into any other thing to assume of what he's talking about because it does get into a lot of ideas and a lot of things that he's focusing on. But what I do know to be true is that this dichotomy does continue to come up and it is a very important part of the book overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like you made me think of the part where he um, uh, saw the statue. It was a statue or painting of Goethe? The, the bust, yeah, of Goethe. Yeah, yeah, yeah the bust of Goethe. And he, I thought Wait, it was a bust at the professor's house. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a it was like a picture. Yeah, he, he picked, picked up. up a frame. Okay. okay. Yeah. So in him just like insulting that, like he he both he both appreciated the like the mind of Goethe but he thought that the representation of him was pretty much garbage which was I just thought that was a very odd um way to go about that and it just it also showed his just crumminess uh with like his attitude towards life and and things of that nature like he appreciates genius but what it has become is is not to his liking or the ways that other people interpret it. Yeah. Um, he is automatically like, nope. Yeah, he, so we should maybe give context. I don't know. He, like, goes to dinner at the house of a professor that he meets, that he had, that he meets, uh, that he runs into. And while he's there, he is, like, a guest in their home, and he sees this picture of, of Goethe, and he immediately just, like, in his own head starts shitting on it. And then, like... And then, like, 30 or 40, like, I don't know, I, in my head, it was, like, 30 or 40 minutes into the dinner, or maybe it was later, I don't know, he, like, just couldn't even contain himself. Like, it was, like, exploding <laughs> out of him that he needed to verbalize how shitty he thought this painting was. And he, it was like he couldn't hold it in. He couldn't even hold it together for a single dinner. He hadn't, like, had a lot of contact with a lot of other people besides, like, the people that he is, like, renting from uh, and... And he he essentially, like, is pleading with himself, like, during this dinner internally. He's like, just get through the dinner. Like, just <laughs> hold it together. After like, after just, he's like, what have I done by like, even accepting be being normal. there? Yeah, he, he accepts the invitation and is, like, extremely verklempt about it. And it's just like, oh, my God, what have I done? This is horrifying. And then he goes reluctantly. And then during the dinner, he's just like, all I have to do is hold it together for, like, two hours. And then he can't do that he's just like the worst dinner guest and like at the end like he's insulting and whatever and then like by the end he's like uh he insults the painting and then just runs away <laughs> like that's essentially his evening and I, I just thought it was funny how I thought it was interesting like the his monologue his internal monologue of just like hardly being able to contain himself like be like needing needing to say what he thought of this very specific uh interpretation of Goethe and, and that was it was funny because out of all the things that could happen in a book that was a very t that's a very tame thing to insult a painting and insult the owner but that was like his breaking point of <laughs> actually going going to this bar and meeting this hermione i'm on the hermione train but like, i feel like but also like, though everyone overreacts to that like the wife just runs out of the room crying yeah, because he says no he didn't like this painting he was like he was essentially just like, "Oh, I don't really like that." And his and the, the professor the professor was just like, 
this is my wife's prized possession. And, like, everyone is so offended, and he's just like, I don't know, I don't really like it. And, like... But at the same time, though, like, it wasn't bad enough from his perspective to have Harry leave, though, either, which I think was also interesting to show how much Harry was just like, oh, it's over, because he's just like, okay, that was a little (laughs) over the line, pal, but, like, let's have a cordial time. There's the time he's just like, no. Like everything has I changed. Have to leave. I have I've to go. go. My life <laughs> forever is different. Like it was a very especially again as we had talked about that like all of the action of the book. This, this was after as you had mentioned Jamie that 75 page mm-hmm. mark. So this is like late into our <laughs> section where like this is a significant action that gets taken is like this particular moment. And out of all the books that we've read with these breaking points that, like, we haven't had anything that's caused such a dramatic change with such little that had gone on to cause it, which I think is kind of funny. Do you guys think, like, so in this moment, obviously he's being ridiculous, but, like, on a whole, reading half of this book, are you guys sympathetic to Harry at all? Because I can't really decide if I am. I feel like I started... The like, the first few pages after the preface of like the actual book, he starts off by talking about, um, just like an all-encompassing loneliness. Like he's like, I had a good day today. I took a nice bath and I read a book and I did things Same. that are good, but also I'm <laughs> so sad. And those few pages, I was like, it piqued my interest. I was like, oh, this feels like how I've felt before. <laughs> I relate to this being like everything, every small part of my day was good, but when I put it all together, I'm in like a really crappy mood and I'm sad. But I feel like I he lost my sympathy so quickly after that. Like the whole lone wolf and like don't trust the system like everything about government is bad and I refuse to have a job and also no one knows what's going on with me and i'm kind of like all right dude <laughs> like yeah. he needs a buddy <laughs> he does need a buddy well uh, i'm hoping that hermione can be that buddy for him but <laughs> yeah it almost reminds me it it reminds me of a uh, almost i'm not going to remember the names but um our last one of our other guests that we had um andrew when we read bluebeard it reminds me of... I don't remember any Rabo. of the names. Rabo. The, Rabo. Yes. Well, well the, and the oh, yeah. woman. Yeah. Who... Then the... And, like, the... the I don't know. It, it, he essentially is just, like, getting... Like, he hasn't interacted with that many people, hardly at all during this book, and, like, hardly at all in the last few years of his life, it sounds like. And so, like, in general, it's almost like she just calls him on his bullshit. And it's just like, you are... What are you... Like, go take a go to bed like i don't know she just she oh that was after that was at their dinner but like you know she kind of just like it kind of just sounds like he was waiting for he he needed like anybody to care or give a shit about anything that he was doing and like she did she was kind of just like you don't know how to fucking dance like what are you doing like i don't know she she really just like called him on his on his bullshit and i think that he needed that and again it was so easy for him to be influenced by that, which I think, like, is such a tell into his state, apart from everything he tells us outright anyway, but, like, the fact that this painting debacle, 
was so small and was able to influence him and even this like small calling of his bullshit and like just predicting anything about him where he he almost becomes completely subservient to her <laughs> off of again a relatively small event um which again maybe it does tell into you know as Corey you had mentioned that maybe it is something that he just needs a buddy um but again it was just such another small moment that i think plays into where he's at in his own headspace yeah he literally says uh like that he wanted nothing wished nothing better than to obey her commands that nothing was dearer to him than obeying her like oh god (laughs) it started getting yeah it started getting creepy around that point i i really don't know where that's headed (laughs) <laughs> but I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to know. Well, we'll find out, I guess. I, I do want to revisit just really quickly about your question, Jamie, about the sympathy factor. Uh, one thing that I do consider a part of it, and this is definitely influenced from outside sources and even just the little I know about what uh, Herman Hess writes about, but the religious aspect that he also gets into quite a bit um, is another big factor, as we had mentioned earlier, not only just the societal factors, but the religious factors as well. And I think that it, you know, the, the sympathy that I felt would have to do with putting myself into, like, his thought process with the religious... Um, affiliation that he has and he talks a lot about this eastern religious philosophy to some degree and gets into the reincarnation aspect a little bit if i recall this uh to some degree and he's talking about how difficult it is to live uh and then i and correct me if i'm wrong anybody but i do remember a specific part where like he's talking about like just the concept of dying and gets into the fact that he may just have to do it all over again anyway uh, from, you know, what's going to happen to him after he dies in this particular instance. And I think that part of that even plays into this identity as the Steppenwolf. And again, correct me, because some of this was stuff that I might have glazed a little bit, but, like, I thought that that was kind of a play into, like, some part of his reincarnation journey for this like wolfly aspect to him um and i just think considering that being on his mind of like this life has already been so tough what i am tasked into is to going through this again with more complexity like it's not a religious ideology that I personally subscribe to but to like grapple with that overall I think there's some sympathy to that of like being trapped into the circumstances whatever they may be because I don't fully understand what's truly truly eating at Harry to be quite honest because a lot of it is just getting into his current mind state of just being like I am world weary period but I feel sympathy for that aspect of like if that's what he is subscribing to and that's what he thinks is coming his way then that's like a sympathetic thing to feel trapped in an infinite sense the way that he's going about his personal life at the moment 
I don't feel as much sympathy for, but I can see how that is influenced by those religious philosophies because that felt a lot bigger than just this prospect of him dying this one time via suicide that his mind, at least in a certain part of this section, went well beyond this life. Uh, And so I thought that that gave me some sympathy to some degree. So I just wanted to at least touch on that to answer that question a little bit. Um, I, in response to that, just really quick, because I took a picture of this quote because I thought it was funny. Um, And also, I'll be honest, I kind of missed that, maybe. I don't remember the talk of reincarnation. I remember him talking about being exhausted and, like, wanting to, not wanting to do it again. But I think that I glazed over maybe the, like, religious aspect. Um, But also... When he has that uh, dream where, uh, is it Goethe? Yeah. Goethe. He meets Goethe. He meets Goethe <laughs> in his dream, and there's this great <clears throat> quote where he, uh, Goethe is talking to him, and he says, you take the old Goethe much too seriously, my young friend. You should not take old people who are already dead seriously. It does them injustice. We immortals do not like things to be taken seriously. We like joking. And then a little further down, it says, eternity is a mere moment, just long enough for a joke. And I thought that that was hilarious. So if we're talking about, like, the idea of eternity and being overwhelmed by it, he's kind of taken down a peg there. Which which happens later, though, which I yeah. think is, like, a journey that he's going through, which I think is important to, like, touch into that from, quote-unquote, Goethe. Yeah. But, like... I, I think that this I, er, eternity aspect does come up multiple times, but, like, that is a good wraparound of, like, where Harry may be going after this, which mm-hmm. I think is going to be what I think is going to be a cool journey. Yeah, I, I think there's a danger to knowledge because uh, this is a smart – he's an educated man. It is alluded to many times in the discussions he's had with, with various uh, people throughout the story, um, but – but to do the callback to what I alluded to earlier in this podcast, so the book I'm currently reading called Horizon, um, it, it's almost it's they're complete opposites in their approach. As in, one man is leaving behind lessons, and he is he is telling people of the good that he has learned throughout his life, and he's and he's just kind of he is at he knows his place in the world, and he knows everything else's place. And this one is so involved in itself. Like, I, I'm, I'm sad that he can't extend past himself to, you know, like, tell me what, like, I should be doing. What lessons should I learn from you, Henry? What, like, what, what, what lessons <laughs> go, go with your misdeeds that you've done throughout your life? So, I mean, when I was reading that, that, that was the... Where I, I guess, to side with Jamie, like I was losing respect from him in that sense. I'm like, dude, you like this is stuff that I was thinking about in my early twenties, you know. But may, maybe, but again, like call I said, out. we're call now, we're too, <laughs> We've still got several years before like we're at this stage in life, so I, I don't know if that's coming back. <laughs> yeah, I, I also thought like I thought it was interesting that. He very confidently talks about about killing himself, like, from pretty much the very start. 
Doesn't he say it's like on his birthday, right? On his birthday, he's on decided his 50th, that he is his birthday. Yeah. Right. So like on his fiftieth, which like, by, which it, it just like sounds so. I don't know. That just sounds so young. Happy I know it was the thirties, but right. It just is like he essentially is just like we. <laughs> We read the preface, and then he's like, so, I'm Harriet, nice to meet you. I'm going to kill myself on my 50th birthday, which is soon. And, like, <laughs> then he doesn't. That little, <laughs> which is soon. But he also says it's not soon enough. He's like, it's, like, two years from now, and how am I supposed yeah. to get there? Yeah, he, like, and so I think I think that's where I find my sympathy for him, is that, like, he's so he's so tired, he's so weary, and he's just, like, he's, like, he can't. He can't wait for his 50th birthday and like and but but also I thought it was interesting that like he doesn't talk about he 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 speaks very confidently about it until like the very end of the first half in which he like uh it's like he goes to the professor's house he embarrasses himself and at which point he decides he's going to kill himself just right then he like le- he runs out the door and is just like i've i've this I've is the decided. worst thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> i'm i'm horrifyingly embarrassed and i'm uh, the only solution is death and he just is so he's so ready and then like he meets Ermin, and like then <laughs> and then uh, and then he talks about being scared of death for the first time. You know, like he doesn't really talk about it until this very moment of like uh, we we just got to it. Um, like in the last, I don't know, ten fifteen pages, and it was when he actually talks about like being scared of death. And he kind of waxes poetic about it for a long time. He talks about how it sounds scary. It's it's in the conversation about like reincarnation reincarnation a little bit, and um, which I also didn't pick up on as aggressively as Brian, but I think that's a great interpretation of that section. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, or, or whatever, you know, whatever he's alluding to, it's just like at the, at the end of the day, uh, he talks about like being scared of dying. And then he also talks about possibly like having to come back and do it all again. And both of those sound exhausting to him. Um, I think that's where I find uh, a little bit of sympathy for him. Cause I'm kind of just like, wow, that's just, you're just, you're thinking so much. I'm just so sorry that you are so worried about so many things. <laughs> One of the most profound questions I've ever been asked was, what do you think about when you're alone? <laughs> and I feel like for some people, like, I mean, they're not, they're not happy and bubbly. Like, and I don't know how it is for other people, but like this is, these are his thoughts when he's alone. And I, that's why I said he which needs a buddy always. because, yeah, yeah which, that's all which is always, which, Savage. and I think, and, um, yeah, I, I just think for him to change, he needs another, just something to come in and, and distract him long enough. He needs a buddy. He needs a buddy. <laughs> it's Ermin. <laughs> well, I think we're getting kind of close unless there's another um, brief point to bring up, but getting close to final thoughts here. Um, I think with four of us, we can probably fill out a good good chunk of time. Uh, unless Corey, did you? Ha- I know you had a couple of things. There, any other things? No, you guys. You guys are astute. You've covered most of them. <laughs> well, thanks, Corey. <laughs> well, I, you've, been, you've been doing this a while. I am astute. Thank you. <laughs> well, with that, then, since uh, our astute nature has allowed. 
sounds such a process. We are going to get into final thoughts here. Um, and this will just be uh, just to kind of re-explain, since we do have a new person on the pod, just kind of explaining your thoughts so far on the first half. Um, any maybe predictions for the second half? Are you liking it? Um, any just anything you want you've picked up on any loose threads you want to just tie together before the episode ends it's just kind of uh, your time to have one more uh, platform before we go so do we want to go same ordering as uh, our our corners and that's not traditional but <laughs> sure wanna go for yeah that? James go um, okay <laughs> final thoughts I don't know here mm. uh. <laughs> boom <laughs> I um, love it. Like I said earlier, I feel like if I had uh, sat down with this book on my own, I uh, probably wouldn't have finished it, <laughs> just being honest. But I am really enjoying it, the point that it's at now. Once we got into some like action items where it was like, oh, there's a story, he's meeting someone. Okay, I understand. Um, I am enjoying it. I do think that it's uh, an interesting meditation on loneliness and the things that loneliness can do to a person um and i do want to know what happens in the second half i i really hope that ermin um (laughs) is like a changing force for him but i also um am not optimistic about where harry ends up if i'm being honest i have a feeling like she will be a part of the novel for a while and then something will happen where they break up or don't be friends anymore, and then he just kills himself at the end, uh, is kind of my prediction. Because I feel like it would be just, like, a boring novel to end with, like, yeah, they're friends and he's happy now. Um, he made he made a friend. And, he and found that's his buddy, and that's the end. Steppenwolf in parentheses, <laughs> Harry makes a friend. Um, but also, actually, never mind, because I don't know that that can happen because of the preface. Like, the only part of his life that we're getting is before he left the manuscript. I don't know. I, I think he's going to leave to say, I'm going to go kill myself now. <laughs> That's what I have. Bulb. I don't know. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> Danny. Danny, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm most excited to see where, where his relationship with Ermin goes. Because, like... They, I don't know, because we just, we just got there, like, it's, it's, like, only a few pages before the end of the first half, and so, I, I don't know, it, it's like, I almost feel like, um, it's the first time, uh, he kind of wakes up, um, because of her, he kind of, I just feel like I've been picturing, like, almost this, uh, kind of, like, dreamless, like, floating through life a little bit, um, f- for the last few years for him, um, for the whole, for the whole first half of the book, until he, ends up here and his life is kind of upended um and so I don't know I'm, I'm excited to to see where their relationship goes um I, I don't know that I'm excited in a positive way <laughs> um I feel like it'll probably not be great for him I'm worried that something that like if something as uh as as small as um you know like a, a, a an embarrassing incident at like a, an acquaintance's house can set him off I'm worried about about what he may do rashly um but i don't know i don't know that i have any predictions about what is going to happen i am the most interested in 
we have not tied up the loose end of the of him like seeing the uh the invitation what is it like the it, he gets like invi- like it, something is called like something um calls out to him specifically at the beginning of the book right he like reads a message like out like on the that like, theater in, or something yeah for mad men like only. a, a magic magic show or something yeah there's like a show and it's like it's like an, it, it feels like an invitation specifically for him and he sees it like twice and so that i don't think that we have really i, I think uh yeah i don't think that's been tied up yet so i'm really interested to see where that goes because um because again like uh that was the second or third like targeted thing um i almost said targeted ad <laughs> um <laughs> like targeted thing right like there were two of those like kind of uh messages for him for this magic show and then there was another one um where it was a pamphlet for like describing the steppenwolf and and it's all and, like he, all for mad men only because even his own transcript is for mad men only so like yeah. presumably he goes mad i mean who knows who knows I think yeah he already is mad yeah i mean i i feel like going confirms that he is mad <laughs> Like attending the thing. So anyway, I don't know. I'm interested in that. I, I that's been bothering me since the beginning, and I'm really interested in it. That's all. Cool, Corey. Final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mean, as much as I'd hate to admit, I do feel like I would, I, I envision myself in this book if I were to have like Brian lost my wife, you know, late in life for whatever reason, you know, like. <laughs> I could I could be in the same state of mind and write something just as you know conflicting and dark. Um, so, but at the same time, I I'm annoyed by it. I'm just like, get over yourself, you know, pick yourself up, and you know, just get put yourself out there. Um, but as for the rest of the book, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I like I I finished the conversation with Hermione. And this may be taboo for this podcast, but like it, the book, the game changes considerably. Um, Corey, just you're breaking couple... the rules here. Corey, <laughs> you, you fully cheated. <laughs> but so, like, I mean, it was only like a couple pages. We hadn't established it. Um, but that so, was our fault. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> so I, um, I'm just trying to grapple with, is this going to be a happy ending or is it going to be a tragic ending? And if so, like, what am I going to take away from it? Because, you know, if if you're writing this book at this point in your life, you better have something for me. You better have a lesson <laughs> for me. That's the selfish reader in me. Cool. Uh, so for my final thoughts, I will just say um, it was just another instance where as we've mentioned previously in the podcast, our stopping points are completely arbitrary, but we happen to stop at again. Like, I mean, it's maybe it's just good storytelling, but again, at such a pivotal moment in this novel, which we have just happened to fall upon in a lot of what we've read. Uh, like even with the last book of, you know, pregnancy reveals or in the book before that of like picking a father from like all these different things we're getting to a point where we're meeting what is presumably a pivotal character in this story and it didn't happen until halfway through literally we didn't get her name uh fully until 
at least in our edition, like the page before we stopped, we stopped this yeah. part of the book. And so this is just a whole new frontier for what's going to go on further. And in putting it in context of, you know, how we had analyzed what role Hermine is supposed to play of being <laughs> of being this opposite to Harry and even something that he outright says himself near the end of this section uh, of something that's very heavy-handed writing, in my opinion, of him straight up saying, oh, all of these things, you must be an opposite of who I am. Regardless, we have gotten an entire half in a book full of these dichotomies of splitting in two ways. We've gone an entire half of a book of Harry's perspective here and gotten a lot of his philosophies, gotten a lot of his perspective on a, a lot of huge areas. And now we have been introduced to, again, in Harry's own words, his opposite. So I'm curious to see if we're going to get as deep of a look into the philosophies that are opposite to everything that we heard, especially in regard to the fact that we've seen a lot of these, uh, a lot of our descriptors of what we had read with Harry is something that's a bit more negative, where he is very depressed and has a lot of these um, issues with the society he's a part of. If we're going to potentially get a brighter side to the back half because we're getting his opposite, but again, with some of these hints to four madmen only uh, of something that is foreshadowed to presumably come up here later in the book, uh, I, I too feel that it's not going to be a happy ending overall, but I think we're going to have greener pastures for a little while <laughs> uh, as we get into the second half of this book. And I, I think it'll be a bit more fun from everything I've seen from our, our new character uh, that she seems to be <laughs> Danny's cover. We'll, we'll put that on Instagram so people can see. Uh, Danny's yeah, cover is uh, a bit more uh, a uh, active than ours. Racy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little racy. My uh, pocket edition was $3 at uh, Prospero's. And when you said a little more fun, that's just what I thought of <laughs> the cover of my book. So I, well, I, I think it was worth also mentioning that I don't know if we mentioned it at the beginning. This doesn't have any chapters. At least mine doesn't. Oh, yeah. No. yeah, it's just one thing of text. In my defense, y'all. Yes, y'all. yes. <laughs> it, it's true. And this is the second Which... book, second book in a row that we've had such a, a, a unique yeah. structure of walls of text seems, that last the entire seem, book. Seems on brand for just like kind of men opining uh, about <laughs> <laughs> just kind of like without any you're not really giving anybody any breaks or anything but I was I was surprised actually when I like flipped through and I was like oh this is just him thinking yeah, yeah. that's what we're getting chapters are too feminine so. <laughs> I mean the last book that we had chapters in was from a female author based on a based on Faulkner though which did have chapters as well uh, but uh, I think those are my final thoughts. I think that the second half is going to be interesting, and I'm definitely more in than I was halfway through the first half. So I think that that's going to be exciting. So we will be reading through the rest of Steppenwolf for the next episode. Corey, it's been a pleasure having you on. You'll be back. 
for the second part of this book. So we're excited to have you on again. And this is, I don't, I don't know if you've ever reached the end of one of our episodes, Corey. So, Corey, you don't listen so, to so, oh, I've, I've heard. <laughs> so, I've heard. Whose, whose day is it? So we, uh, I think it's your it's day, your Corey. It's your day, Corey. So as is tradition on Beer Time with Books, we got to have somebody scout us out. And with Corey being a new guest, we're going to pass it over to him. So, Corey, take us away with the scat. <laughs> Perfect. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.